in accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. I quit my job, rented out my house, asked my parents to take care of my cat, sold my car, dumped the boyfriend, and traveled around the world to 30 countries for about nine months. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Sandy Smith Leva in the Plano, Texas area. As you're going to hear, Sandy is a CPA, but she's not your usual CPA. She started in some typical accounting positions like most of us, but her career path has taken her more into the IT space and the marketing space and the training space, and even a little bit of the field of neuroscience. She's had and really continues to have a very dynamic career. Plus, she's traveled around the world a couple times as well. It's really a great story. What's interesting to me though, is that she doesn't say this specifically, but I suspect she would agree that although these areas are different than accounting, It was her early background in accounting that afforded her the opportunity to learn more and eventually transition into these fields. So it really is true. A background in accounting can prepare you for almost anything. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. If you do feel that this episode is particularly valuable to you, please check us out online as well for additional show notes on this and all our episodes. You can find it at whereaccountantsgo.com. And we also have links to a couple publications that we put out through Where Accountants Go, some interesting career-related books, basically, and a written blog as well. There again, that website is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Sandy Smith-Leva from Plano, Texas. Well, hello, Sandy. Thanks for making the time for us today. Hi, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have Sandy Smith-Leva from the Plano area on the show today, and this is going to be another unique interview. I'm pretty sure we haven't had the topic of neuroscience enter into the interviews as of yet, and I know that's going to come up in our discussion with Sandy today. Sandy started her career with the typical bachelor's degree in accounting, like many of us do, but she's also highly educated in management information systems and neuroscience. She's written several books. She has a very complex organization there in the Plano area that effectively serves other accounting professionals from what I can see and gather. And actually, Sandy, that's where I'm going to stop with the introduction because I think I'm already getting in a little over my head and I want to make sure I don't misstate anything. So before we get into all that, let's start at the beginning so we can sort of see how you got to where you are today. What initially led you to think about pursuing accounting as a possible career in the first place? Well, Mark, we have to go way back (laughs) to when I was in eighth grade. I found that I was really good at math. And that, you know, I know that sounds like crazy simple, but that's kind of what started it. 
my dad was an entrepreneur, so I don't know, that might have helped a little bit, but I don't think of it like that quite as much. But the math thing and how it connects to accounting, that was kind of really the trigger for me. Interesting. Is it something that you identified in high school or or were you going through college and had to pick a major and you were good at math, so you picked accounting? (laughs) You know, it was that kind of moment in eighth grade, which I said, you know, I want to go into business and I think accounting is going to be right. And of course, you know, back at that time, women were actually entering accounting at a 50-50 ratio to men. So I thought I also, from a gender standpoint, had a profession that was going to be a little bit more, you know, lenient, somewhere where I might actually be able to get ahead. So that was another consideration back when I started. (laughs) You know, we have to think about these kind of things. Okay. Okay. Eighth grade. Wow, that's the early point to be making a decision. Good for you. That's good. Yeah. Well, when I was doing research on you online, I didn't find much about your initial days in accounting. And so I wanted to find out sort of how you got started. What were your first few jobs like? And you know, how did you come across those opportunities? Well, I was married early, even before I graduated. And the husband that I was married to at that time, actually, was one to two years behind me in college. So we stayed in the college town and my first few jobs were based, you know, there instead of like a big city when we moved a little bit later after he graduated. I guess I got the jobs through job ads, to be honest with you. I don't remember and I don't remember having any personal questions. I know my first few pre-college, you know, during college, pre-high school type jobs, I got from my dad and stuff like that, but I don't think that was a connection with my jobs at a college. I really loved those jobs, actually. I didn't stay very long. I was six months at one, which happened to be a small business HVAC plumbing company, and then I moved on and spent another 18 months at these crazy guys that were real estate partners, and I kept 12 sets of book for them. At the age back, I was the assistant to the controller. It was like an accounting department of two people. But I tell you, that was just so incredibly important for me to get that small business experience before I moved to Dallas, a bigger company, and I got a job at Frito-Lay. And I got a job in their financial reporting department. And so I went from baby companies to a huge Fortune 100, Fortune 50 company anyway. And I ended up like, you know, the first few months I was trying to figure out, (laughs) okay, where are the debits and credits happening and how do the departments relate to each other and how do all these things feed in? And I was so grateful for my small business experience because I kind of got it, you know, on a kind of bird's eye view, high level, I kind of understood how everything worked together. And so I was in, like I said, the financial reporting department, and we did the bank recs, which really fascinating, because you had so many thousands of entries. And back then, computers were just getting started. And I was actually the very first person at Frito-Lay, Mark, to see the profit and loss for the month. So that, you know, that was like a fun power position for someone that was still in their 20s, right? (laughs) So that's, you know, my first couple of jobs. If you want me to go on, I can. 
Sure. Well, I'd like to, I'm sort of curious about, you know, the roles you held prior to starting your businesses. And I don't know which ones are more important and less important. So I'll let you walk through that. But what are some of the key experiences you had as an accountant? Interestingly enough, I did start an industry, which is a little bit different than, you know, what other people do. I Before we moved, after I graduated, I was really burned out, but I went and just bit the bullet and I retook intermediate accounting and I passed my CPA exam. And then I think I got my CPA about five months after we moved to Dallas. I really wanted to get it because I thought it would give me an edge in the big Dallas (laughs) job market. And I do believe that it did. It was fun working with the planning department, but I will tell you that I pretty much got bored after about five years with accounting because at the time, and this was in the 1980s, so you're going to find out how old I am, (laughs) but at the time, what was exciting, what was a little more exciting for me was computers, you know, the big mainframes back then, and learning how to program and getting things automated. And one of the really cool things I did, I think, for Frito-Lay, I made friends with the treasury, the guy that did cash forecasting. And so one of the cool things I did at the beginning was I tried to get a computer program through regression analysis to predict cash better. And I actually couldn't. This guy was incredible. (laughs) So... And he was retiring, so I don't know what they did after that, but cash forecasting was a really big piece of what we did, more of a treasury function really than an accounting function. And then the other thing that I really got excited about was was Frito-Lay, all their different product lines and flavors. No one had ever done a line item profitability, so I wrote a program to do that and then they had that information in terms of profitability and pricing and, you know, all the various ingredients with that. So I've always loved cost accounting. That's just been a really big favorite field of mine. I stayed for Frito nearly 10 years. And then I got wanderlust, to be real honest with you, Mark. I quit my job, rented out my house, asked my parents to take care of my cat, sold my car, dumped the boyfriend, and traveled around the world to 30 countries for about nine months. And that was a really good thing that I did because I think it really built my confidence in a lot of areas. And then I came back and got a job, you know, another job (laughs) with Fortune 1000 company, a wholesaler, which later got bought by McKesson. By then I had transferred into IT. So I spent quite a bit of time in IT But the really cool thing, the smart thing they did with me at Frito-Lay is they moved me into the IT for the accounting system. And that was a really smart thing that they did because then I really knew accounting and I really knew IT. And of course, today, having accounting skills and tech skills is pretty much a given. I mean, you probably see in your line of work how much more accountants get ahead when they have tech skills. So that was kind of a good thing that I think helped my career quite a bit. And in 92, I'm proud to say I got laid off and that's how I started my business. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into that, you said a couple things. I want to circle back before we get too far into it. So you're working 10 years at Frito-Lay 
and you just decide, I'm going to simplify my life and travel around the world for nine months, which is really cool and really fascinating, by the way. A lot of people, I think, would be nervous about you know, finding a job when they get back and, yeah. you know, how that was going to work. Did you do anything that, I guess, what helped you, for lack of a better term, re-enter the workforce at that point? Or how did you make it? <laughs> what did yeah. you do that worked? Well, it was hard because I tell you what, it really transformed my mindset on a number of things. Frankly, at that time, I really wasn't a very good employee anymore. I had a lot of entrepreneurial spirit, you know, from all the traveling and, you know, being able to kind of be on my own. You know, the thing that, you know, was kind of interesting was I just, I thought, well, why couldn't I do this? You know, you only have one life. Why should I wait till I'm 70 to do this? You know, and it's not as expensive as you might think. I know it might be now today. I didn't exactly stay in hostels, but I definitely didn't stay in five-star hotels either. And I purchased some tours and around the world trip ticket is not all that expensive. And it was really kind of a fascinating thing to do, really broaden my perspective on a number of things. But getting back into the job, you know, I had the skills. I was a CPA. I mean, we're pretty in demand. So, and, you know, I knew IT and I knew programming and I, you know, was kind of a, I'd gotten five promotions at Frito-Lay. And so I had a really good track record with them. So I wasn't too worried. I mean, yeah, I was worried, but I wasn't too worried about it and it did work out. So, and it was even like in the recessionary, like 1990, we were going kind of into a recession. So it seemed to work out. I think I wouldn't have wanted to do it in 2008, 2009, but you know, I, you know, so you kind of have to time it right. But I would really encourage other people, you know, if you didn't have the chance to do this on a college summer, don't wait until you're 70 to do it. If you can tear yourself away, and especially if you don't have kids, try to do it before you have kids. Okay. Okay. I knew there were several factors involved in terms of, you know, coming back and being successful afterwards. So thank you. I just wanted to delve into that. I secretly have wanted to do that, but I think that the time has probably passed for me, <laughs> for me at this point. So. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> well, talk to us about starting your own business. You said you were laid off in 1992. How did you get started and what did you start exactly? Well, Mark, I don't think you could know a more reluctant entrepreneur than I been. <laughs> when I first started, I was so nervous about, you know, asking people, you know, for money and just everything. And I think that's probably why I'm so passionate about helping people. I lost a couple of good years just, you know, procrastinating and worrying and, you know, just not knowing how to get started. And I finally got a job teaching computer training and they didn't have a course for QuickBooks. This was now in the 90s. And so I developed a course for them on QuickBooks and I taught Windows and Access and I don't think I ever taught Excel. (laughs) I was never actually the best at Excel like many of accountants out there. But the QuickBooks course was fabulous because then people would come up to me and say, I don't want to do this. Could you keep my books for me? And that's how I got business. And so from there, my business grew. I was very lucky in the mid-90s to 
I simply just submitted volunteer application to the AICPA and I got on one of their committees, the IT tech committee, and they flew us for meetings and I got to meet a lot of other people that were involved in helping accountants learn more about technology. You know, back then we were, you know, still trying to fight it and, you know, DOS and Windows and Windows 95, if you remember that. That was all, you know, fairly new to the profession. And so helping the profession over that big change was something that I got involved in with training. And that started, you know, that kind of got me into working and helping accountants. Then when the internet came in the late 90s, it really worked out great for me because I loved doing websites and then doing the marketing part. So I kind of moved out of bookkeeping and more into websites because it used more of my the right side of my brain, if you will. So that's kind of what I did in terms of how my business is kind of snaked and <laughs> twisted and turned a little bit compared to when I started compared to what it is now. Are you still in the web design business for accountants? Yeah, absolutely. Half my business is now a digital marketing agency. So websites is one of the things that we deliver for clients. Okay. To what extent are you personally involved in the design decisions and that kind of thing versus the administrative functions that go along with running a business? I guess how large... Tell us about your business. (laughs) Yeah, so I have four employees, so we're really, really small, but we are highly leveraged, and we just really know how to scale like crazy. And so the training side of the business scales really, really easily. So that from that standpoint, you know, that works. So half my business is training, providing CPE training and providing Just everything, you know, except for accounting and tax training, although we have had some guest people, and so we got into tax a little bit this year because of the changes. But mostly it's about the practice management side of the business. So I guess the answer to your question is I'm involved in all of it since we're pretty small. Okay, okay. Where does neuroscience play into all this? Well, that was kind of interesting. Back in the early 2000s, I decided to just, I don't know, stuff was bugging me, you know, more so in my personal life and stuff, family history and things like that. And I wanted to just kind of learn more about the brain. You know, I just think that from a standpoint of understanding human behavior, I just don't think there could be much more important than understanding how the brain works. Now, I realize that, of course, most accountants (laughs) are not going to care or, you know, it's not going to be useful for them to be able to recite the 12 cranial nerves. So, yeah, I had to learn that part. But what I was really mostly interested in is you know, how do we stay motivated? How do we think? How do we make decisions? How does our emotions drive us? How do emotions drive decisions? And I got really fascinated about fear response. And, you know, why are people afraid to do things? You know, why are people afraid to do public speaking? Why are they afraid to, you know, just stop and take a trip and wonder if they're going to get another job, you know. So why are these things happening within our brain? And so I just wanted to learn more about that. And so, yeah, I mean, in effect, it was a Benny degree, but it helps me with everything in terms of 
you know, being able to understand people better, understand where they're coming from a little bit. You know, I don't make assumptions, but, you know, there are some basic things around, you know, how do we get motivated? And believe it or not, neuroscience, or at least pieces of it, should be in every leadership course. And I do teach leadership, and I find it absolutely essential. I've got like a toolkit of about 50 tools that I've developed from having the neuroscience degree, and I put those in my leadership courses. Okay. Does it enter into the marketing consulting or how y'all build websites or any of the marketing piece for accountants? You know, it does a little bit, and there is this whole field about, you know, I don't know what it's called even, neuromarketing, but I don't believe in manipulating people. So I try not to think too much about that, if you know what I mean, (laughs) because I, you know, I think it's very relevant in leadership and motivation, and I want to use it, you know, to build positive emotions and to help people have positive experience and deal with or minimize negative parts, negative emotions, negative parts of their lives, help them understand that better. But I don't want to manipulate anybody. So I don't like using it as part of, you know, the marketing pieces of it. Okay. I was curious because, yes, I'm familiar with the fact that there's basically the idea that you can try to direct someone towards a certain decision (laughs) based on science. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really slimy and I hope, you know, I hope there's nobody in our profession doing that because that's, you know, I mean, our integrity has to be so high, you know. Definitely. Since you mentioned web design, I was taking it further and, you know, you put this color here so you make sure they click on it or see it and that kind of thing. (laughs) No, we don't get into that level of detail. So, Tell us about your business overall because I noticed you have a few different entities. You've got the Accountants Accelerator and is that the web design piece or? In a way, I mean, that's a brand that I use that's above all of it. We basically have, you know, two really major components to the business. One of them is the training side, Accountants Accelerator. I do have another brand, Brainways Training, that I use occasionally, which is with the leadership and soft skills training. But for the most part, we do practice management training, which includes marketing training, time management, just, you know, anything about running your business better for accountants. And then on the other side, like I said, I have a full digital marketing agency and we provide websites, uh, client newsletters. I know a lot of CPAs don't like to write, so I do. And then social media as well. On the training side, we have, I mentioned the practice management. We also really have another whole area on the training, which is advisory training. Mm. And so that does get into a little bit around helping your small business client with things like financial literacy and going beyond compliance work like bookkeeping and tax to, you know, it's almost an aspect of business consulting from a financial angle and things like how to help the client accelerate their receivables so their cash flow is smoother, how to help them price, you know, if we have the skill set to be able to do that, how to help them set up KPIs and dashboard metrics. You know, all the things that we don't have time for because we're so busy filling out sales tax and trying to figure tax cuts and jobs act and the laws. 
but what, you know, we really should spend time with the client on because that can be the highest ROI in terms of their investing in our services. Okay. Okay. You know, it's interesting. So you're an accountant, you're one of us, <laughs> and you're living in this marketing training world, you know, really almost the other side of the brain. When you take on new customers or when you go out and talk to accountants and that kind of thing, you're dealing with someone new, basically. What do you find that we as accountants always just seem to miss when it comes to marketing or in that area? What seems to be lacking? You know, I think client communications is a big one. You know, we're numbers people. We're not necessarily words people, you know, and I think we do need to remember that we're great at it, but our clients are not. So I think, you know, if we ask our clients, you know, and and we repeatedly get marked down as a profession on this client service, client delivery times, you know, client communications. I would, you know, hope that, you know, all the people in public accounting that are serving businesses, you know, let their business owners know that they can do far more than compliance work and, you know, ask them what are their big things that if it's fixed, you know, from a financial standpoint, how can we help you more? I think there's a huge opportunity to do far more, especially in the small business segment. Interesting. Okay. I'm assuming you probably do some training around communication as well. Not so much as when I have, like, I'm doing a course right now on marketing metrics, which is all numbers, but accountants, you know, they tend to fear marketing. So they don't learn about marketing, the numbers behind marketing. And that's, you know, sad because I think they could help their small business clients grow. So if their small business clients could analyze the effectiveness and the ROI of their marketing with accountants learning these marketing metrics and sharing them with their clients, then both of them could grow. I think it could, you know, be very synergistic for the accountant and the small business owner. I'm curious if an accountant tells you it's impossible to measure ROI on marketing. I mean, how do you handle that? How do you respond? Well, it's not. I mean, if they want to take my course, you know, it's really very black and white. But a lot of the metrics are not on the balance sheet. And that's where I find most accountants stop is they deliver the financial reports and they stop. There's a lot of numbers that are in small business that, You just have to gather or train the client how to gather. And, you know, that could be a whole new service line for them. And so, you know, going back to the client communication, I try to develop questions that accountants can ask their clients so that they can kind of bridge that gap and start, you know, learning from each other on, you know, how to fill this part of the business that I think goes unfilled quite commonly. Okay. I assumed that at least there's that feeling out there sometimes, if not people just directly stating it. So I knew you'd have an answer. (laughs) That's interesting. So you're an accountant and you're living in this, you know, marketing, training, quasi-IT space, if you will. What do you enjoy the most about what you do now? You know, interestingly, one of my favorite parts is when I get an email from a client that's taken my training or has my website and says, 
guess what? I just got a new client or guess what? I just quit my job because of you and I'm really jazzed to be looking for another job now. Or I just, you know, made this big change in my life for the better. That's actually my favorite part of the job is, you know, when I hear from my clients and, you know, I guess I have this drive to make a difference or something. I don't know. But, you know, another part of the job, which is really insane and not very you know, not very profitable, you know, me being the CEO or the president or whatever, I still love doing my own books. (laughs) And I even teach most people, you know, you should not be doing in your own books. You should be outsourcing this, but I still really love doing books. (laughs) Crazy. I can, I can relate for years. I still handled my own QuickBooks. And it was only a couple of years ago that a business coach was after me. You know, Mark, you really should drop that. And finally, I took the lead. So it's hard to let go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I can relate. Well, this has been a good story. It's still got a few items I'd like to ask you about. But I'm curious, if you could go back in time, you know, given everything that you know now, if you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what do you think that might be? You know, I think it would probably be to have more confidence. I just really didn't have a lot of confidence when I was younger. You know, I don't know if that was a female thing or crazy family background or whatever, but yeah, I would have more confidence. Okay. It's kind of humble me admitting that, but it's true. <laughs> Another item, I think you had a lot of confidence if you decided to quit your job at Frito-Lay and and go travel the world and just the heck with it. When I get back, somebody will hire me. (laughs) That worked out. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe I just, maybe I need to give myself credit. Maybe that's the really thing I should do. I don't know. (laughs) So I saw this in a couple places. You co-piloted a plane around the world. This may surprise you. You're the first CPA I've had on the show that co-piloted a plane (laughs) around the world that I'm aware of. Tell us the story there. Well, I had a friend who had a single engine airplane. And I tell you what, Mark, this guy, this airplane was, uh, if you compare the horsepower to like a Mercedes today, I mean, it had about the same amount (laughs) as a Mercedes (laughs) car. It was a single engine airplane. It was a six seater. So he wanted to take it around the world. It was like a life dream of his. And so I'm a sucker. I just like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. I love traveling so much. I didn't love flying as much as he did, but I really trusted his piloting skills. And it was fun. And the navigation, plotting the route, you know, looking at the weather, figuring out, you know, which airports have nav gas and the right length of the airstrip doing all the permits and visas and and then just exploring, you know. So we took about 90 days and we did that. And, you know, so my goal was just to help my friend achieve the dream that he had and to have an unbelievable journey. And you know what, Mark, you're probably not going to meet any other CPAs who have done this because I think I was like the sixth or so female Oh. that has ever co-piloted a single-engine airplane around the world. So it's like only 200 people in the world have done something like that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, I had no idea right? how rare it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And for a CPA, yeah, it's got to be like crazy wow. rare. 
Was this during your nine months sabbatical or is this a different time? No, this was a different. So I've been around the world twice. Yeah. Once backpacking and once with the plane. Wow. Okay. Have you had any other, you know, three, six year long vacation, (laughs) six months year long vacations I should know about? (laughs) Not really, but I did have a lifelong goal to travel to 100 countries before I was 50. And I did accomplish that. So, you know, I had to take two and three weeks off at different times. And you know what? I did a few of those when I had my own business. And you know what, Mark? I was really surprised. I just emailed all my clients at the time. And of course, at that time, I only had a couple hundred clients. I mean, now we have thousands. So it would be a little bit harder now for me to get away. But at the time when I only had a couple hundred clients, I emailed all of them. And I said, you know what? I want you to help me achieve my lifelong dream. And they were so gung-ho and they were fine. And when I got back, you know, and so it was like, I mean, I didn't get revenue for those three weeks, but that's okay. I mean, at least I didn't lose any clients either. So it's kind of surprising how when you take on big things like this, the whole world supports you. And they're just really, you know, they're the armchair just definitely wanting to help you get engaged in these things. Wow. Yeah, you just have to be brave enough to go ahead and take the first step. Wow. That's neat. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions. Given the nature of our conversation, though, I did want to ask you before we do that, you know, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they wanted to learn more about you know, your classes or your marketing services for accountants? Where's the best place to look online? Okay. Well, we actually have two websites. I hope that's not too confusing, but they can go to accountantsaccelerator.com. And that's where we have a lot of the training materials. And there's a little button at the top right that just says schedule your free consult. So, you know, if you're a potential client, we welcome that. And then the digital marketing agency website is acceleratorwebsites.com. You can also just Google Sandy Smith Leva and all of that will come up. So, <laughs> Okay. Acceleratorwebsites.com was the other one? Correct. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay. Thanks. Wonderful. Oh, yes, sure, sure. This has been very interesting. Well, I do have three questions I end every podcast with. It gives us some good consistency across the interviews. First one's usually the easiest. From my career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? You know, I think that's hard. <laughs> anyway, because I don't, you know, how do you pick one? Because I would say every time I get an email from a client that's happy, that's a very proud moment, you know. I guess I really am very you know, responsible about trying to make sure that my clients get their ROI from our services. But I guess, you know, if I had to pick one, it would probably be earning the CPA practice advisors, most powerful women in accounting. They pick about 40 every year and I've been selected two years. And so I'm proud of that, I guess. Congratulations. Okay. I knew I had seen your name in a few places. That's another one. Yes, definitely. Okay. Well, the second question isn't necessarily the easiest to share, but a lot of times it's easiest to identify. <laughs> Tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, because that's the part we really want. But frankly, the more colossal the mistake you're willing to share, the better. <laughs> well, do you want one from my corporate days or from my business? Because I have two. <laughs> oh, we've still got time. Let's get them both. <laughs> Whatever you're more comfortable with. Twice the humiliation, right? So when I 
I'll just keep them both fairly short. So when I worked at Frito-Lay, I worked on, you know, a really important project, which was called the Route Sales Project. And they had little handheld computers. Frito-Lay was really advanced when it came to IT. It was a real honor to work in their tech department when I did. But they pioneered handheld computers on a field service route. And we had the code on the mainframe for it. And I was updating some routines and I left an asterisk out. I just left, it was just one character mark. It was just one. And it actually deleted every single route and it was going to take 36 hours to rebuild everything and all the, anyway, I got to meet the VP that day. And I think the thing that I learned about that mistake was the devil is in the details and the breadth of, you know, high level all the way down to leaving out one stupid character, you know, can really make a difference. And I think it just really, I really learned that day the importance of detail. Mm. And then the second one was just a few years ago, maybe five years ago, we are a NASPA CPE provider. and there was a mistake that I made when I'm, I believe I changed from teleseminars to webinars or something. This was maybe five to seven years ago. I did something like that and I discovered that they weren't covered under the CPE that I was approved for. And so it was about three months worth of training and I called every single client individually and I just, I was feeling horrible about that I messed up their CPE and I was just shocked when every client was like, I can't believe you called me personally, not a big deal, you know, and I was just so grateful with how the clients were so incredibly forgiving. It just really surprised me. So I just, I felt terrible about that mistake, but then I called everybody personally and it was a very interesting experience. Thanks for bringing that up because it's been a while since that lesson's come up on the podcast, but frequently in the early episodes, we had the theme sort of, you know, mistakes happen, but the important part is that you own up to it and you make it right, you know, not sweep it under the table or downplaying it. And, and that's what you did. You called your customers. So thank you. That's, there's a good lesson in there. Definitely. Definitely. Well, last question, and then we'll close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Well, it has to be, Frida-Lay was so great at giving me a ton of training when I was there. They were so generous with the training. And one of the courses, I'm trying to think of whether it was a creativity or an innovation or a decision-making course. I don't even remember. But I know, I looked up the guy's name, and I do remember the guy's name. His name is Min Bassador, and I believe he's out of Canada, and I believe he's still consulting. But he introduced a concept called What's Stopping You? And I teach this in leadership a little bit, and then I also applied it in my own life. And this is actually how I decided to quit my job and travel around the world the first time, this exercise right here. I asked myself, what's stopping you? You know, what's stopping you from going around the world? Well, I'm afraid, you know, to quit my job because I won't get another job. Well, what's stopping you from thinking that you might not get another job? 
you know, and so you keep asking what's stopping you till you drill down. And then you realize at some point, what's stopping me from getting another job? My own attitude and fear, because I do have a decent skill set, you know, gee, why couldn't I come back and get a job? You know, why am I so afraid that I can't get a job? I think that's an unreasonable fear. So then I basically (laughs) just said, well, you know what? I do think I have the money, you know, so I had to go through all the other stuff, you know. Well, how am I going to get my cash flow to be positive? Well, I can rent out my house, you know. And so I went through the what's stopping you and, you know, wow, you know, (laughs) when you do that, you might be shocked at how your life's going to change. So. And I just had a client that just emailed me two weeks ago after the last leadership course I taught, and she made a major change using this exercise, too. So it's very, very powerful. So if you don't want change in your life, don't use this exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that can apply... Oh gosh, to almost everything. Almost... I could apply that once a day, probably. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. What's stopping you from... Asking this person to marry you, you know, there's <laughs> lots of things, right? <laughs> I get a little personal now, Sandy, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did that hit home, Mark? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. This is a wonderful positive note to end the podcast on. I really do appreciate your time. For our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited that website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes to Sandy's episode. Of course, we have the show notes for every previous episode as well. And we have links to all the accounting-related certifications and review courses and other tools that you may want to consider for your own career. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Sandy, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to leave with the audience? Oh, I guess just live your dreams. You only have one life. You know, when I keynote and talk about my single engine airplane trip, I usually end with the sentence, you know, I only had one engine, but you only had one life, you know. So do what you're going to do with that before it's too late. That's beautiful. And that's a good summary for our whole conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.